0: Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 503. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M.
1: And I'm Lorraine Sink, your friendly neighborhood Danger Ginger.
0: Ooh, a Danger Ginger. That's a... You should write that movie.
1: <laughs> danger Ginger. It's just not quite <laughs> rhyming, but you know, whatever. We're we're not here to ask questions. We're here to talk about what's happening at Marvel.
0: <laughs> I got it. Danger Ginger Is British Kitty in the City's arch enemy?
1: Oh, it's me, British Kitty in the City. Danger Ginger. Yes. Okay, this is great.
0: Yeah, Yeah. we'll workshop this. We'll come back uh, in the next couple of weeks with more Danger Ginger and British Kitty in the City. But for now, we are here to tell you all about what's happening this week in Marvel that we're super hyped about, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or more. There's a lot going on. And of course, I think the thing on everybody's mind is Marvel Studios Loki.
1: Episode two came out this week. No spoilers. Don't want to spoil anything if you haven't seen it, but there was a wonderful, exciting ending to that episode. I mean, as with all episodes for Marvel Studios, it's always such a cliffhanger and such a fun, like, waiting with bated breath moment till the next episode, but very exciting for what's what's coming to the future of Marvel Studios Loki.
0: Loki Wednesdays are terrific. What's coming in the future... Even better. I can't wait. Also, I can't wait for everybody to see all the stuff that gets posted on Marvel.com after an episode goes because we get all the, you mm-hmm. know, the Marvel must haves, the action figures, the Funko Pops, the t-shirts, the 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 swag, all the all that stuff. But also there was a really great recipe that was posted by Jen Fujikawa, right?
1: Yeah. So much like my Miss Minutes clock that I have hanging out. On my shelf right now, she made Miss Minute's cookies. So there's a recipe over there and like a little design on how to make Miss Minute's cookies for your Loki watch party as you see fit. Also, I love all of her recipes. Yeah. I'm a huge Guditama fan, um, who's a Sanrio character who's a lazy little sad egg boy. Um or or Are girl. We... It's a it's an it. It's a yeah. genderless egg entity, but whatever. Um, she also wrote a book of Guditama recipes, which I am Oh wow extremely obsessed with.
0: That's intense. Yeah, Jen's great. But we've got more stuff because this past week and change was a big week for video games of all kinds. In particular, we had some cool stuff for Marvel Games. Most importantly, the announcement of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. I feel so happy that it's finally out there and... It's not a secret stuck in our brains anymore Lorraine.
1: <laughs> I know. And it looks so awesome if if you guys have not watched the trailer yet, go over to marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel and watch the heck out of all of the cool videos that have been coming out about the game. Get a look at it because it's super beautiful. If you haven't heard yet, it's a third-person narrative action-adventure game, so it's a lot of storytelling, but it's also, you know, action-packed single-player gameplay. And you have the Guardians, you get to be Star-Lord. There's like just a ton of amazing elements to it that I can't wait for people to check
0: out. The game comes out October 26, 2021. Mm -hmm. Of course, going to hit all the major platforms. PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X and S, and Xbox One consoles. PC. PC with streaming with GeForce Now. And the cloud version is coming to Nintendo Switch. All that said, it's four months from announcement here Mm -hmm. to release in October. That is so unusual for so many video games. Usually a video game is announced and then it's like slow dribs and drabs of information over like two to like six years. I think, you know, there's some games that get announced and don't come out for almost a decade. Some games come out in like two years or three, whatever it is. But the teams have been working on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy for years. And it's a very smart way that I honestly think that they're doing it. They're saying, here's where we are. And we're going to give you information. And it's just you don't have long to wait to experience this game. It's really freaking cool.
1: Yeah. And I mean, really shout out to Square Enix and Eidos Montreal, as well as Marvel Games on putting Mm -hmm. in all that hard work for, you know, like half a decade or whatever it takes to make that game. And now bringing it out to the public. I can't wait for everybody to play it. There's so much cool stuff to it. We're going to have more on This Week in Marvel about the game. I'm talking with some folks from over there very soon. So hold on. We'll have more very soon for that.
0: Also announced during E3 is, of course, the uh, cinematic trailer for Marvel's Avengers Black Panther, the War for Wakanda expansion. That is big <gasps> and super friggin' cool.
1: Please go watch that trailer. It's yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> flipping awesome. I'm really excited for people to get playing again. You know, I think. It's great because there's always these sort of new pieces. We've had like our Hawkeye storyline for Future Imperfect. And there's been so many great additions to the game. And I think this is just going to slap, as the kids would say.
0: So much slapping. You're going to (laughs) be slapping. uh, uh, And you'll see, if you haven't watched it already, in that trailer, Claw comes to Wakanda for Vibranium. And that's, that's the big, you know, sort of battle and story. And then when Claw... Gets full like purple, pink, giant version sound, mm-hmm. like solid sound version that is its own unique version for Marvel's Avengers, but also kind of reminiscent of the the wild design he's had in the comics. It's yeah. so cool. I geeked out so hard when I saw that.
1: And of course, you guys should be getting on it. Go play Marvel's Avengers. Currently available on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, PC and Stadia. And you can learn more at playavengers.com about when more will be coming for Marvel's Avengers Black Panther, War for Wakanda, which is the expansion. And that's going to be available in August of this year. So also very, very soon. That's like in a month and a half.
0: Oh, my gosh. I am currently playing and loving the new game from our friends at Insomniac Games. They just released Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which is so good and jaw-droppingly gorgeous and cool so i'm playing that right now but if anybody wants to team up for some marvel's avengers down the road i'm the real agent m on ps5 that'll be my platform to play it on i'm into it i'm into it i I gotta get back in and play a little i want to play all the hawkeye stuff and some black panther stuff
1: yeah friend me too ms marvel 616
0: video games are great play some video games with someone you at least kind of like
1: or not whatever it's fine
0: play it with your enemies and then destroy them
1: yeah there we go also shout out to sam mags who has written some captain marvel comics over at idw who also worked on ratchet and clank
0: oh cool that's rad speaking of uh friends of ours who are doing amazing stuff in video games evan
1: oh yeah my pal evan narsis from marvel's declassified my co-host over there and uh overall just great guy
0: (laughs) Yeah, and comic book writer and writer of all kinds of things. He actually worked on a new game called Redfall, which was announced this past weekend. It's from the people who made the Dishonored series of games, which are some of my absolute favorite games. Redfall is basically a bunch of awesome people fighting vampires in like this post-apocalyptic setting. There's a woman with magic. There's like shooters and tech people and like all these kinds of things. Knowing that Evan is working on the game... I am so beyond hyped for this. Go watch the trailer. Uh, you can find it at Play Redfall um, on the socials. All right, let's move on from video games and talk about some comics because this week is the release of the final issue of Venom by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. Came out this week. Uh, it is issue number two hundred of Venom. It's it's a big boy. The issue is massive.
1: Yeah, I mean it, that's been a long run, and I'm I don't think that there is a human being on the planet that's more passionate about Venom than mm-hmm. Donny Cates, and that is saying something because people are very into Venom. Yeah, you know, just his story from like him being like a teenager making Venom statues in his in his home <laughs> growing up yep. to now is pretty flippin' epic, and it's been I mean really just a huge event for Marvel. You know he's he's done some really universe spanning stuff in that run. And I, I do think that, you know, Venom is forever changed because of the work that he and of course, Ryan Stegman have done on the series.
0: Shout out to Ivan Coelho, who did a lot of work on the series as well. Mark Bagley, the editors, Devin Lewis, and Danny Kazem, and everybody who worked on it. It's it was a really great run. It's cool that they were allowed to tell the story that they wanted to tell and step out when they're ready to step out. And They leave Venom in a really cool place. It's a great issue. Definitely go check it out. There's a farewell video from them that you can watch on Marvel.com and check all that out and then stay tuned because there's going to be more Venom comics coming really soon. There's all kinds of info about that. Uh, And if you are hyped about the comics coming out this week, also you've got Planet Size X-Men number one, which is... It's so good. It's so big. It is truly planet-sized. You've got Heroes Reborn number 7, which is the final issue of that part of the limited series, which will lead into Heroes Return next week. And then New Mutants number 19. It made me very upset. And it's a great comic book. I'm not going to spoil it, but the last page, I had to send a note to writer Vita Ayala with a lot of emojis. Comic books,
1: they'll break your heart.
0: Yeah, I will leave it at that. Uh, But we have all that on Marvel's pull list. Subscribe to that show. And there's also a reading club with Jordan Bloom, who is the uh, writer of MODOK Head Games and the uh, sort of co-creator of the Marvel's MODOK TV show on Hulu. And uh, I think we'll be talking about him a little bit more later on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe to him. We'll see. Man, I have to say, I'm going back and reading... The basically from Dawn of X onward because I read everything so long ago and I was like I just want to go back and read it I'm having such a blast like going back especially with Planet Size X-Men coming out I just wanted to like do it all and it's a lot of comics but it's good
0: yeah I, I'm particularly I think I'm going to go back to House of X and Powers of X, um mm-hmm. before Inferno comes out because Mystique going to burn it down
1: oh yeah and she is <laughs> She is. I got really excited too, just going back and reading. I was like, Mistaken Destiny, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Squow. All right. That was my <laughs> that's my my guitar sound. Okay, moving on. Uh more new comics though. There's a new K's limited series coming. This September, it's written by Zach Thompson from Yandu and Age of X Men, and it's going to be drawn by Herman Garcia from Immortal Hulk and X Men. The comic title is Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, and that's going to be coming this fall. So very exciting.
0: Yeah, Kazar died and then got brought back, and he's all—that's the technical term for it. And he's um, like,
1: "Get but... me my loincloth, I got business in town."
0: Yeah. And then I'm going to take it off and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna, I don't think that's what's
1: going to happen. It's more of a Ryan. horror
0: story than my like Chippendales <laughs> version of Kazar in the Savage Land. But, you know, maybe I'll pitch my my sexy Kazar book down the line.
1: There's a lot to unpack there, so let's just move on.
0: <laughs> Fine. Yeah, well, we're going to move on into Darkhold territory because we announced the Darkhold saga will finally begin this September with Darkhold Alpha, number one. It's written by Steve Orlando, and it's going to be art by Sian Torme. And, um, yeah, this one's cool. Like We showed two covers, uh, one with Scarlet Witch holding the Darkhold and one with Doctor Doom holding the Darkhold, both by Greg Smallwood. Very cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is really such a cool story because it's, you know, Doctor Doom is getting in with the Darkhold. Scarlet Witch is assembling this really awesome team of heroes like Iron Man, Wasp, Black Bolt, Blade, and Spider-Man. And then, you know, they gotta, like, read the Darkhold and go nuts to, like, deal with this thing. It's There's a whole lot of, of stuff going on, but if you're excited to see Scarlet Witch with the Darkhold, baby, this is your moment. Get into it. But that's not it for comics, because, baby, we got comics coming out our elbows.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Uh, over on Marvel Unlimited, some new series launched over on that service. You've got Thor and Loki Double Trouble, which is so-, so
1: good. So
0: good. Oh, my gosh. It's you so like much fun. You like a Thor?
1: You like a Loki? hmm You want them together? Yeah. Hi, Jinx? Yeah. Also, Mariko Tamaki, yeah. who wrote the series, is just one of my favorite mm-hmm. writers, I think. I think she's just a delight, and then Gijirido is like next level, just so fun. I love those; it's a great series.
0: So good, um, and it just it keeps getting better. It's a lot of fun. Over, we also have Children of the Atom number one, which is a really interesting series about characters who have a big secret, and you learn about that in the first issue uh, by Vida Ayala, who I already was talking about, and artist Bernard Chang, so check that out, it ties into all the other X-books, and then a really great Spider-Man series has just launched on Marvel Unlimited by Joe Kelly and Chris Bashalo, which is called Nonstop Spider-Man, and it is really like, you ever see Crank, Lorraine, the movie Crank?
1: Is that one with men...
0: Yeah, it, it is one with men. Um, it, All it's, right. Yep. Uh, it, it, but it, it's not as wild as Crank, but it has that feeling of like, go, go, go. That Yeah, can't it, stop, it is won't a, stop. Yeah. Not stop Spider-Man is really great. It is it it is a very fast-paced, intense action Spider-Man story with a lot of heart. Because friggin Joe Kelly is, I don't think Joe Kelly gets enough credit. I'll be honest I with agree.
1: you. I agree. I agree. He's, he's done so, so many good. great things. Mm-hmm. But of course, there are always lots of amazing things over on Marvel Unlimited. They're adding new comics like every two seconds, I think, is officially what it is. New comics come out, I think, about what, three months after they mm-hmm. hit stands. Yeah. So there's a really quick turnover to get them onto Marvel Unlimited. And you can read. Twenty-eight thousand comics and counting. So go over to Marvel.com/Unlimited and check it out and sign up if you haven't already. Because what are you doing with your life? Read comics.
0: Uh, all right. Also, while you're maybe while you're you're trying to figure out what to read, maybe you should be listening to Marvel's Wastelanders, Old Man Star Lord, because this week, Chapter Four, Deer on a Spear, was released. We. <laughs> Like, there were table reads for the series. It was just funny, like, uh, everybody chanting Deer on a Spear during the table reads was <laughs> a lot of fun to hear. It was great. But you know what, Lorraine? Why don't we play a clip from this episode of Marvel's Wastelanders Old Man Star Lord?
1: Deer on a Spear! Deer on a Spear!
0: Okay, he's coming. He's coming now. Well, then we gotta stop him. No, we need to get the hell out of here is what we gotta do. Craven is going after Sebastian Warren. Sebastian Warren. Yeah, I heard. Same as you. Come on. That's Red's friend. That's our contact. That's our chance to find the Black Vortex. Listen to
2: me. You're a wanted man wandering through a garden of corpses, and you want to run into the arms of the enemy? It's not just Craven out there. It's the drones. My helmet. Huh? Huh? With
0: my helmet on, they don't know who I am. Oh, they won't need to know. You get in the way of craving and I'll gut you for sport. It'll be fine. I got my six-shooters and my booster boots. Oh, no, no. What do your booster no. boots do? They boost, baby. Oh, they boost. Oh, no, they do not boost. They barely work.
2: They're too old like you. Get them off here. I've got this. i
0: got this. Guardians! That's not our catchphrase. There you go, everybody. Uh, Definitely, of course, check out Marvel's Wastelanders Old Man Star-Lord. Listen on Sirius XM or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Lorraine, it's time for our interview, and we have a doozy this week. It is all about Marvel's MODOK. On the show this week, we have Jordan Bloom, the uh, co-executive producer, co-creator, co-writer of Marvel's MODOK, and Amy Garcia, who's one of the stars of the show.
1: Yes, yeah, she plays the wonderful Jody. And also just like a phenomenal geeky Mm -hmm. lady in her own right. What a badass lady. It was so fun talking to both of them about Marvel's MODOK on Hulu, which we've been enjoying the crap out of, I can say, officially. Um, And also, fun fact, Amy writes comics. So she's like, she's in the gang, man.
0: Yeah. Super legit and fun and awesome. It was a great interview. We had a blast. Listen to it right now. All right, Lorraine, it's time for This Week in Modoc, and we are here. <laughs> we are joined by uh, two wonderful guests, Amy Garcia, star of the show. How you doing, Amy? Well, thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. And Jordan Bloom, one of the creators of the show and writer and just all around swell dude. I'm
2: also the voice of Fing Fang Foom. I mean, that's a huge character. I think I'd like to be credited that first. And then show creator.
0: Fair.
1: Literally the biggest character. (laughs) Yeah,
2: the biggest puppet on stage.
0: (laughs) We're going to get into the puppets and and everything else soon, but on the show, we always like to ask folks about their Marvel origin stories, how you first got connected to Marvel characters and and the worlds and the universes. So Amy, how about we start with you?
3: Well, for me, it was my dad. My dad was always a big sci-fi geek, loved Star Trek, and wanted to be a Disney animator. He grew up without indoor plumbing in Puerto Rico and basically lived in a trailer park for the early part of his life, so he didn't even get to go to the bathroom inside and had to go outdoors. So his fantastical life was just very vivid and very rich, and I think his fantasy was his form of escape. So as a kid, I just grew up with aliens, and my dad is very clumsy, so he obviously loved Spider-Man I was introduced to Spider Man by Hector Garcia, and he wore the Coke bottle glasses and was kind of the dorky kid in school. And so he very much associated with Peter Parker. And I kind of carried that torch. And as a clumsy nerd, dork myself, that's kind of how I fell into that world. And I guess I just always loved the sense of humor that. Marvel had. they weren't godlike bigger than life superheroes. I just love that they were kind of hot messes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that was it. So Spider-Man was really kind of my first and then loved Guardians of the Galaxy before it became center stage. and kind of always, I guess, loved the super not cool ones like, Squirrel Girl, and nothing against Black Widow, but she's, like, super cool, and I'm much more related to, like, a Miss Marvel type. So, but yeah, Spider-Man was kind of my first intro into the whole Marvel universe, courtesy of my dad.
0: I love that. Jordan, you and Amy should pitch a Hot Messes comic to co-write
2: for Marvel. (laughs) Marvel, Hot Messes. (laughs) (laughs) I have a few characters I'd love to put in that. Uh, Mine is similar to Amy's, too, where my, my father didn't speak any English when he, he came over to this country and he kind of learned English through comics. And so they were just like there when I was born, you know, like I can't remember a time where comics weren't in my life. Like there's pictures of me in a high chair holding like a Captain America, Mark Grunewald era, you know, I think it's like the first Scourge, which is kind of a weird comic to give to a two-year-old, but I was, <laughs> I was loving it. And, uh, you know, and then that kind of grew and then X Men just hit at the right time for me, and you know I don't know if I was aware of it when I was younger, but for me, you know, growing up as like one of the only Jewish kids in my town, I felt like a bit of an other, and and the idea of escaping to a school where this is a school of others, you know, of outsiders, I I loved that, and it was like X Men, everything X Men from there on.
1: Oh man, what a well met group of misfits here. <laughs> <laughs> we're amongst our found family now, that's for sure. And I have to say, MODOK is among, I think, the best of the lovingly, I'll say, outcasts. You know, he is uh, ahead of the game. Oh, I'm sorry. and Now I'm in puns now. Okay, (laughs) I'll make this stop. Uh, But, you know, obviously, Marvel's MODOK is just so wonderful. How did this show come about for as Ryan would say, the greatest character of all time.
2: Well, I, I love them. And, you know, we're talking about the underdogs of Marvel and the Outsiders, like the oddities too, the weirdos. I was always drawn to those. And like nothing is weirder than that original Jack Kirby design. And when you dig deeper, you find this kind of really fun, complicated character, this egomaniac who wants to take over the world, but his, his ego is his downfall and and his hubris and and he constantly trips himself up and it stops him from being a Dr. Doom or another A-lister and he's aware of it and it drives him crazy and I think that makes him so relatable. So when I had met with Marvel and they were talking about different kind of comedic shows and characters they were interested in, I immediately thought back to MODOK and the idea of this, you know, larger than life, very arch villain. You know, where does that guy go home to at night? Or what does it take to run AIM and this evil organization behind the scenes? And, this, you know, there's just so much comedy kind of built into asking those questions of like, what happens? When he's not in that Captain America panel. Like where does he go? What does he do? What's the stuff we don't get to see? So kind of creating a behind-the-scenes show of, of Modoc's life was the genesis for it.
0: Everything I've always wanted. I I have a um <laughs> one of the Modoc koozies that Hulu sent out, and it's this is what I drink out of every day. And so now my 20-month-old daughter, she knows the word Modoc. And she goes, Modok, And she like waves to him. And then I was wearing a Modoc shirt today at lunch. And she noticed him there too. It's real good. Yelling. You're acing parenting.
3: What a great origin story. And they ask her when she's grown, what was your Marvel origin story? She's like, my first word wasn't mama or dada. My first word was Monday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and she also loves Spider-Man. She calls Spider-Man baby, which is terrific. He's Aww. all our baby.
2: I feel like. I know. I know. I love Peter.
0: Yeah. Who doesn't? Um, Amy, you play Jody on the show. Tell us a little bit about who Jody is and what her story is in case any of our listeners are lost in their lives and they've somehow not seen the show yet.
3: Well, Jodi is Modoc's wife. And yeah, I always say to be married to a supervillain, I think you have to be morally flexible yourself. She <laughs> is a housewife, she's a mom, and she finds her independence later in life, which for an egomaniac, doesn't sit well and she starts making more money as modok loses control of his quote air quote empire and and what i love about her is that she's a very atypical animated wife that i don't think we've seen before where she goes from housewife to supervillain and wonder man literally said who she starts dating because you know he's a in his words pending avenger underwear model lover of modok's wife um (laughs) You're like Modoc, but worse. And so I think in a way it's so fun to see this character who starts out as a you know supportive wife and ends up giving her kids a peanut allergy and having her daughter play the piano until her fingers bleed. <laughs> That's really fun. But um but yeah, I just love the show. You know, Jordan and, and Pat did such a good job of representing the supervillain as a washed up celebrity. Which we've never seen before. Like we've never seen a supervillain take out the garbage and what happens after the epic battles after hours. So I think it's such a fun entryway into, you know, a world we all love.
1: I love it so much. There's just something so funny about getting to see the normality of life that isn't, you know, fighting Iron Man and calling him names. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But what was behind the choice to go with stop motion animation and that style of sort of behind Stupid Buddy?
2: Well, we had gotten a bunch of tests from different animation studios, 2D, and then Stupid Buddy did a 2D one and a stop motion one for us. And they both were like the best versions. And what was really cool about the stop motion was that they had developed this style to do kind of handheld photography within the stop motion process with these motion controlled cameras. And it gave the feeling of the show this kind of verite, like I said, like behind the scenes feel. Like we were there in the office with Modoc we were following them home and it was very intimate and real. And then it could zoom out and really capture the, the action and adventure of the show as well. So we love that intimacy, I think, of, of the shooting style and also for these things to occupy real space. You know, Patton talks a lot about how like to him and, and to me as well, Jack Kirby is like the ultimate three-dimensional artist, even though he's working in a 2D format. And the idea of having Modoc like he's popping off the screen and, and inhabiting that space, like it felt like the right Kirby thing to do.
0: Amy, what was your first reaction when you first saw the puppet of Jody? Oh, well, I obviously loved her juicy butt.
3: (laughs) So does MODOK. (laughs) MODOK loves
0: big butts. We know this.
3: As we come to learn. You know what I loved is that she wasn't a supermodel. I love that she was just a very relatable, down-to-earth woman, which I feel like we don't really see a lot of in these superhero spaces. So... I loved her. I loved that she had olive skin like me and you know, dark hair and dark eyes, and you know, as a kid I didn't have a lot of superheroes or characters in the Marvel universe that looked like me. So it it just felt it just felt so great to originate a Latina character in the Marvel universe. I felt like I had won the golden ticket and and also just the team that it takes to make that puppet a reality. I think it was such a cool choice that Jordan and Patton and I guess. Marvel made to almost go analog where obviously they can do these ginormous franchises, but they basically did a cinematic experience with a whole Santa's workshop of artists. And it was this perfect fusion of like handheld breakthrough technology that has never been seen in any medium with this kind of old school tactile creation of a puppet where it's essentially like honey I shrunk the kids and the detail of like the mouths and the hands and the darts behind Jody's vest and the color palette of Jody. there was 15 different color palettes of fabrics of purple and she had a whole basket of hands and and just the detail of like Melissa's jewelry I mean it's it really is like peeking behind Wizard of Oz. Like you you look behind the curtain and I almost wish at some point we could do like a side-by-side of what it takes to do each episode because I don't think people... I didn't realize it, that there's 30 simultaneous stages going on in one studio. And you just geek out. Like anyone who appreciates any sort of cinematic or animation artistry will just, it's just mind blowing. So when I saw that puppet, I just was so excited and grateful. And I may or may not have squealed like a teenage girl.
2: My favorite part was Amy coming for her records at Stupid Buddy. And then we'd be like, oh, Amy, do you want to see like one of the sets? And then you would, you shot like, at least five hours, I feel like, of behind-the-scenes footage. Like, you became this documentarian, and it was so great because you were so, like... You made all the artists and the puppeteers and the set designers feel so amazing because you would just go and, like, want to talk to every single one and shake their hand and tell them how great they were. So I loved when you would come to record. It was like, oh, we're going to get some good BTS today with Amy.
3: Yeah, like, even a little detail. Like, I remember one of the construction workers was putting dirt via a sponge in Modoc's house where the kids would potentially touch the doorway. Like little details like that of making the house look lived in, which I just think is so cool. So they were like, are you official Hulu BTS? And I'm like, you're on official
2: Hulu BTS. I'm Jody. It's my house. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, Amy, are you
1: going to release the content into the wild? I mean, you're sitting on a gold mine.
3: I finally got the green light from Hulu, so (laughs) I actually released it. They had me wait until the premiere, and so, yes, I have released it, unleashed it into the whatever earth number this is i forget uh, 1218 1218 is reality <laughs> Okay,
0: very i saw some stuff that you posted do you have a favorite moments of all the the behind the scenes stuff that like one of my favorite ones that i watched was you like whispering and like you were like sneaking a shot of them setting up it was all, like i think it was wonder man and jody on a date mm-hmm. and you were like okay okay and it was really funny i want all of it though what are some <laughs> of your favorites
3: that's one of my favorites but also seeing that aim was made out of styrofoam which I would never think little things that look so real on camera. And then you're like, Oh my God, this is a squishy substance.
2: Cause you know, what Asgard was, Asgard was like water bottles and flashlights and they repainted them and they just look like huge towers in the distance and stuff.
1: I didn't know that. This is funny. <laughs> That's so incredible. So I guess we should say like, what is the process of making the show? Because there's so much to creating a show like this. There's so many levels. Where do you even begin?
2: Uh, Well, we begin with kind of figuring out, you know, what's the seasonal arc of the show and assembling the writer's room. and, And we wrote, all 10 episodes first, then we had our table reads. And then we kind of moved over to Stupid Buddy where we were doing animatics. So we had full storyboards and you end up locking that into an animatic, which is, you know, animated storyboards. We recorded all the actors. They're drawing off of that. And that kind of locks the timing in of the episode because that's what they're going to animate to. While that's happening, they're building the puppets and the sets and you know, and Modoc was actually the hardest one to build because he's like a Swiss army knife. He has to do so much and he's a weird shape and he's not like a normal body build. So all right,
0: no body shaming here, all right? Like come it's on. a beautiful I'm body. Down, it's Jordan. a beautiful yes, that's right.
2: soda can body of his. But um <laughs> he took forever because they were kind of trying to figure out how to do it. So we ended up shooting around him for the beginning of the season, which is hard to do because he's almost in every scene. So we shot a lot of the Wonder Man episode, because it's, you know, very Jody heavy and Jody driven. So that actually was some of the first stuff we shot to buy us time to get MODOK, or D.Va puppet, ready.
0: I love that. Uh, how many iterations of the puppets did you go through? I, obviously, there are different versions as characters have different things that happen to them. But were there tweaks to the designs as you were going along? Because you have to, it's one thing to see it in 2D, but then to see it as a puppet in 3D probably takes a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's even things you don't even think about where, like, oh, Modoc claps. And then the director's like, he can't actually do that. You know? So we're going to have to pull an arm off and do a close up where the hand comes in yeah, at the bottom of the frame. Like, there was just little things you never even think about because of the way he's shaped. We're like, oh, they drive off in a van. That's the super adaptoid. And they're like, okay, we have to really figure out how the blocking of that works because. M.O.D.O.K. in a front seat is very difficult, you know, like all these little things (laughs) you didn't think about. But so originally there was the M.O.D.O.K. for the presentation that they kind of made for us in Marvel. And that was like the standard puppet. And then he immediately became outdated after they read the script. So they went back and did M.O.D.O.K. 2.0 and made 30 of him. So he could be on every stage. I think there was like 18 Jody's, like all the main characters had multiple versions of them. And then of course, when you have like Modoc gets his makeover, that's a completely new puppet that had to be fabricated from scratch. Or Lou has his bar mitzvah outfit. That's a completely new puppet. You can't just like slap clothes on them, you know? So a lot of the bigger variations, they would make two or three versions of, of those characters or, or even Jody and the dress she's wearing for the bar mitzvah was a whole, you know, three different puppets. So It was a lot. And I was blown away by the speed they were able to make it. And Modoc, and I think Melissa were actually made with 3D printers, the bases. And that would take like 48 hours to make a Modoc from scratch. And then it would need to be painted. And then the fabric on the arms and all that needed to be kind of sewn and put together. And it was a giant team doing amazing work.
1: Wow. That is a lot of man hours. If you ever do that math, just let me know. I'd love to (laughs) know how that works out. Now, Amy, I feel like we skipped a beat, which was welcome to the Marvel Universe. Always an exciting thing to happen in an actor's life. And of course, you I mean, you're no stranger to fandoms. You've been part of Lucifer and all these other wonderful shows. But what has it been like joining the Marvel Universe and now having the show out in the world getting to be part of the fandom with the fans?
3: Oh, my gosh. Like I said, its it really is like winning the lottery. I mean, I do feel like I'm a spy and ha- work for the CIA <laughs> because... Every single email, I have to do everything short of a retinal scan to <laughs> verify my identity. They literally have to text me a couple times, and then I can know. There was a couple times where the there were so many firewalls, I couldn't even open the script. I'd be like Jordan, I want to get laser beamed, you know, by like normal Intel. But do you think you can just like send me a script? <laughs> It's such a huge machine, right? And it's just so fun. But but as far as like my heart, I mean, I am just beside myself. I am a fan to the point where I've gotten stopped by security at Comic-Con when I was on a panel for my own show because they thought I was like a rabid fan that was hugging the stars of the show when I was just hugging my coworkers. And they're like, Amy, you did come in really hot. So. <laughs> Like I went to Comic-Con before anyone even knew what it was. You know, I I feel like there was like a tent where you would play chess and and there was a Japanese animation wing in San Diego at Comic-Con. And so I've loved this universe for so long. And I love that it has like a sense of humor that other universes don't have. And I am just beside myself that I get to be a part of it and originate you know, a woman of color in this space because I, you know, went to see Avengers four times by myself and I'd look around the audience and see 75% are Latinos and then I'd look up and I love Gamora, love Zoe Saldana and I'm like, well, well, at least we have one, you know, she's green but, and I'm like, well, we want to save the world too. Like, (laughs) So it's just been such a treat and I'm just so grateful that Jordan just, let her kind of speak how she speaks and, you know, add in some Spanish here and there. And now Monok is trying to make enchiladas. I mean, I never thought I'd see the day where a major D level or whatever supervillain is trying to make enchiladas. But uh, I, I'm just so excited. And as a fan, it's so nice to be on the other side. And it's just so cool that the fans have just embraced this underdog who endearingly just wants to destroy the world but you know has to like deal with his teenage kids
2: i feel like a lot of people have talked about pat and i being these huge nerds and knowing marvel and that but amy has written a ton of comics. You're right. You're in the Dungeons and Dragons one right now. Right. Yeah. And some other stuff for the distinguished competition. You and I would nerd out a ton while we were making this talking about what characters we were using and stuff. So that was such a fun thing where, you know, I didn't know you at all. We cast you and it was like, Oh, Amy is one of us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I want to talk about the characters, but I also want to just jump on the point that you were, you were talking about Amy was one of the things I love is that the family is so, what I think of as like a normal American family. It's like a Latinx mom and there's like Jewish religion, part of the family. That's what they grew up with. It's just who they are. There's nothing made about it other than this is important to who these characters are, their lives, their culture, their traditions, their family. It's, you know, I think about my family and, you know, Lorraine, I'm sure you think about things from your family. It's like, it's very real in the midst of being this wild over the top, bonkers wonderful show with puppets kudos to all of you for that it makes me very happy oh that's awesome thank you
3: i think that jordan and Patton did such a good job of like intergalactic warfare and alien invasion and robot guts and i mean it's so wildly big right you have avengers like kind of avengers adjacent because they don't really acknowledge modok but i think you're right what makes the show so great is just about a dysfunctional family That's trying to keep it together and trying to rekindle love and trying to figure out how to grow with their kids and try to figure out how to grow with their partner when life gets busy, you know, so it's such a cool show that it could be galactically huge, but also really relatable. And you're like, why am I shedding a tear at the end of like a Moda episode? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so
1: real, though, the episode where they like spend the years together, like they're, you know, the time travel episode. I was wrecked by that episode. I had the full YA moment of like, no, you're destined. Don't be apart from each other. You need to be together <laughs> moment, you know, which is, it's so real. And it's so absolutely enjoyable and delightful. And also, I just want to say kudos to you on all of the comics and stuff. I know you, you work with AJ Mendez, who's a friend of the show, a friend of Ryan and I's, who we love love and adore. At what point did you start writing comics yourself, Amy? Uh, well, it happened
3: really organically. We started with Glow based on the Netflix series. AJ and I wrote that together. So then um, we did that with IDW and, and it just became organic. They asked us to do Dungeons and Dragons. And now we're writing our original comic, which is really cool. And then we're each separately writing a comic. We're a huge superhero which is pretty cool and i guess in my own way i originated a 16 year old coke bottle wearing latina in the they who shall not be named universe and and that's where we're at now so awesome that's
0: rad yeah i see a lot of reviews like i can't believe i love this show And i'm like yeah because it's a good show but there's also like the marvel like hardcores are like whoa, I can't believe X, Y, Z character or the like the bar with no name shows up or, you know, this thing or like, you know, Hexis or whatever it is. Jordan and Amy, what were, you know, some of the favorite characters you were able to include or see in the show?
2: Well, it's absolutely, the show is a, a love letter to comics. Like that was always the intention. And and for me, you know, like getting Fing Fang, Foom in there, which is a character I've always loved. You know, the bar with no name characters are some of my favorites. I've always been into those like, kind of working class villains who just rob jewelry stores and want to grab a beer after work kind of thing. So be able to hit that location and those kind of characters was, was really fun. Hexis was an idea I've loved since I read it in Marvel Boy, and it fits so perfectly, I think, into the show. And, and that was the big thing was like, there's a few characters like Wonder Man that we knew we wanted to use, but we really tried to show restraint if you can imagine because pat and i wanted to use everyone but we really tried to make it make sense for the episodes and the story and you know, that's really Modoc's story and they need to be organic to what Modoc's kind of going through so that was always kind of the intention amy did you have a favorite deep cut
3: i really like whoopi goldberg's character is it pound cake yeah yeah and um who's the other one the yellow and orange or am i totally blanking armadillo yes He just wants to get back together with his like crazy ex-girlfriend. But yeah, I think that's, what's so fun too, that Jordan brings up a good point of like, there's different levels of supervillain. I feel like we usually only see the supervillain that's like galactic level, but what about the supervillain? Like Jordan said, like they don't want to destroy the world. They just want to rob some stores, maybe do some hacking And then, like, call it a day. You know what I mean? Like, in their house by five. And I think it's so fun to, like, see the misfits. And it's so endearing. (laughs) It's just this ragtag team that I think we can all relate to, right? Like, the kind of underdogs that never really fit into a mold. So what happens when you honor those characters with their whole episode and put a bunch of Easter eggs in? I think that's just so neat. If you ever told me Super Adaptoid was
1: going to be on a show...
0: (laughs) What a sass bucket.
2: John Daly, I think, has made that character his own. I don't think you'll ever be able to look at that character again without thinking John Daly.
1: Absolutely not. Well, and speaking of all the wonderful folks, you know, you keep dropping these names from all the wonderful people who lended their voice to the show. What were some of your favorite folks to work with on the show? Because, I mean... I mean, you have Whoopi gold for playing pound cakes. Like that's bucket nuts.
3: That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and John Hamm.
2: That was crazy because we referenced Mad Men more than any other show while writing <laughs> Modoc.
0: I don't know why.
2: Like we didn't talk about other comedies. It was just like I think all the office stuff at AIM. And we even in that fifth episode, we have a whole sequence where where Modoc basically gives a version of the carousel speech for Mad Men, but he's talking about a black hole gun and calling Tony Stark a wet. B- and, like, to have that in there and then have John Ham show up as Tony Stark later, it was so surreal. And he was so game and so excited to play and have fun. And he's, he's one of the greatest dramatic actors, but he's also an incredible comedic actor. And to, we just were able to, like, let him loose, and he had a blast, I think, doing it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm biased. It's like asking who's your favorite kid. But I was lucky enough to record with Patton the final episode of the season. And I was able to just see with my own eyes how he was able to be hysterically over the top and then pull a complete 180 and be vulnerable and insecure about how to be a good dad to his daughter or bond with his son. And I felt like he was very unique in that only Patton Oswald, I think, can voice a antihero that you root for and feel for. And you're like cringing. And then a second later you're like tearing up. And so he's he's wonderful. But I have to say, I mean, Melissa is great and hysterical. And you believe her as a supervillain in the making with very dainty qualities like... Playing the piano and ice skating. And also Ben. I thought Ben was great. He is such a love bug on screen and off. And you just want to protect Lou at all costs. Somehow, in the middle of, you know, having kind of a supervillainy mom, obviously a supervillain dad, and a teen supervillain, he has retained his innocence and his Pollyanna tendencies. He's not judgmental. He sees the best in people. He sees the best in all situations. And it is such an endearing light that I just feel like he, he was just great. And I think that Lou should be protected at all costs.
2: <laughs> and if I can get real, real, I think Amy had the hardest job of the entire show, which was like, it's one thing to introduce that Modoc has a wife. It's another to believe it and believe that these two people could be married. And I think in that second episode, Amy's performance just grounds the whole show and the stakes and that you really buy these two, that they have a history. And then again, Amy subverts it where you think she's the voice of reason for the show, but she's just as damaged and mixed up as everyone else. And you get to kind of slowly see that come out. So Amy, I love that part of the show.
3: Oh, well, thank you.
0: Right back at you. <laughs> uh, also, shout out to Sam Richardson, who was so funny, wow, just yes. crushing it all the time. And of course, to you, Jordan, I mean, we talked about the, the Seagramites, we talked about that on the episode you're on, and Fin Fang Foom, did I ever tell you I have a Fin Fang Foom tattoo? Like, I love.
2: You showed me, I think, last time I was at Marvel. It's amazing. I'm incredibly jealous of it.
0: So good. So, Jordan, did you tell Amy that Jody would also show up in the Modoc Head Games comic before that came out? Like, how you were able to bring you know, her character and everything to life across the medium. I remember
2: texting you as soon as we got the first few pages from Scott in. I was like, she's real. She's in the 616, sort of, you know, uh, because of the nature of the story. But I was sending you, I remember like every Jody piece that came in. I was like, look at this. I'm going to buy this page, you know. And uh, and I have one for you now that you're back in LA. I got to give you the, the Jody flashback page I have for you. But yeah, it was, it was so fun.
1: Man, it's been so cool to see all of the stuff that's come of it. And I have to know... You know, Jordan, I've seen that you've posted some M.O.D.O.K. stuff from the treasure trove of, of Modocs on the show. Amy, did you get to keep a Jody? Do you have a Jody in your possession? Will you be taken to jail?
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. So they lent me the Jodi puppet just to do Hulu and Disney Plus press. And... I kept it for 24 hours longer. And I swear to you, it was like the secret service. They're like, how much more time are you going to have the in your... (laughs) Everything short of an entourage, you know, it was like hand delivered. It was packaged, you know, like a precious gift. And they're like, please don't have her break. it." And I am very clumsy. So (laughs) the the scare in me, if one of the 18 Jodies goes, quote, missing... Anyone that heard this podcast, you know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's just between us and our
1: thousands of listeners. It's fine.
0: (laughs) I guess this is not a good time for me to ask for the puppet of my cameo.
2: So, Amy, uh, Ryan was the guy selling child party size lasagna to modok in the the wonder man episode they designed his puppet after him because ryan is the biggest modok fan in the world so we
0: had to get him into the show
3: oh so you've originated a character as well
0: <laughs> yes yeah
3: or at least his mustache
0: <laughs> yeah my mustache <laughs> takes the helm of all that stuff yeah that's so cool I, I i hope you do get one and i'm glad you got one at least you got one of the Modocs, jordan because that's um it's awesome.
2: It was a big negotiation. And Lorraine, we got to figure out who you're going to be in the Marvel Universe. If we got a season two. We got to get you in there.
0: Oh my
1: gosh, please. That's my dream. <laughs> oh man. It's just been so, honestly, just such a, as Ryan would say, a ding-dang delight to watch the show and the series. Of all of the episodes, which ones are your favorite that you're most excited for fans to see if they haven't seen them yet?
2: My two favorites, I think, are probably episode two. Because I just love seeing the the history between Jodie and Modoc, and it being this insane time travel adventure to see a Third Eye Blind concert and all the insanity that ensues. <laughs> and then I also love, I really love episode six, the Asgard one, the Lou one, the father-son element of that. I kind of pulled a lot from my own real life, except for the Asgard part. <laughs> but um, <laughs> did you do magic as a kid? I didn't do magic, but I did have a Boba Fett cardboard out at my bar mitzvah that my parents did not want there
3: <laughs> that is wonderful oh man now i wish i would have gone first because those were my two favorites but yeah i i do love the second episode with modok and jody just because you see like jordan said like what's at stake and and you see them as young kids like raising their kids, which is so cute. You know, like Melissa's playing with a cat and accidentally blows up and blasts the cat. And then there's cat guts and blood all over the wall. And she's learning how to fly or hover. And there's a table in front of her. And then Modok just blasts the table away. And then she's like, ah, ah, And she can hover peacefully. So I think that there's something so, or like Jody needs more wine. And then he takes one of his like many weapons and pours her a glass of wine. And, and also I think there's nothing more romantic than building a time machine for the woman you love so that you could go back to a concert that you missed and a time where you guys were madly in love. So say what you want about Monoc. Sure, he wants to take over the world. Sure, he wants to destroy humanity. But he is a romantic at heart. And I sincerely believe that. And yeah, I do love that Lou Modoc episode. One of my favorite moment is when he saves Modoc. Like no matter what, family has each other's back. And I think that that, to me, that's like what Marvel is all about is like, Family. And sometimes you are born into a family. Sometimes you have to create your own family of kind of outcasts. But I love that this is the family that's talk about diverse. I mean, bionic, you have humans, you have machines, you have Jewish culture, you have Latino culture, you have droid culture, you have good guys, you have bad guys, you have like the most innocent little being in Lou, you know, so I feel like it's such a multicultural, multi bionic, kind of ahead of its time, never seen before family. And to me, those episodes of like, even after the robot wars, I like that episode too, where they're eating as a family, and they all have blood on them, because they've all you know, killed the robot versions of themselves and they're just having a family dinner after almost everyone getting killed. So I think that that to me is where our show lives and what Marvel does so well that, you know, yes, everyone almost died and there was major killing going on, but it really is about family and having a home and people that you love.
0: Well friggin said, that's the perfect way to wrap up. Uh, Marvel's MODOK is all about family watch it now on hulu
2: family and carnage (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having us this was so fun
1: oh my gosh what a what a wonderful time just talking with you guys thank you so much for being on the show and gosh everybody watch marvel's Modoc. it's the greatest it
0: is (laughs) Big thanks once again to Jordan and Amy for coming on and talking about Marvel's MODOK. Of course, you can watch Marvel's MODOK on Hulu here in the States, or if you have access to Star on Disney Plus, you can watch it there. I know episodes are dropping weekly, so hopefully you didn't get spoiled on too much. Sorry. Bye.
1: Yes, but we're not done. We have more folks to speak with next week, which is why our question of the week this week is going to be all about Marvel Studios' Loki. We're going to have some wonderful folks from the series. We're going to have Kate Herron, the director of Marvel Studios' Loki. We're going to have Michael Waldron, the head writer, as well as, Bumpa ba bum, bum Mobius himself, Owen Wilson. So in that spirit, what's our question of the week, Ryan?
0: All right. So let's... Let's think about it. I think everybody's seen so far at least two episodes of Marvel Studios' Loki. So, you know, the TVA has some really cool technology and things at their disposal. So if you were at the TVA for ill or better, however you got there, what would you do with the TVA's technology? Where would you go? What would you do? Let us know.
1: I'm going to go to the confiscated stuff room. And I'm going to... Like, just take a look at what's going on. Make myself a necklace.
0: <laughs> I would just, like, hop around to different times and places and, and, like, eat food. I would like to, like, think think about this. You could eat, <gasps> a, 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 like, a 1920s hot dog. Ew. And then you could go and eat, like, pasta in the 17th century. And then you could go and eat a, a future, like, tofu burger. You could do it all.
1: I'm I'm going to say that like probably a lot of this would result in dysentery. Oh,
0: but, 100%.
1: <laughs> but like there are there are some things like I would love to, you know, just check out the ruins before they were ruined, you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, but I would want to do it while I'm eating some sort of random food from another time and place. I would like that. That's the thing you can go. You go like go a gyro. Here. Pick up, yeah. I would pick up uh, a gyro from a gyro. I I'd pick up a gyro from uh, from Greece in like I don't know, 1842, right? They surely had some sort of gyro-like thing, and then take that, and then go like way, way back in time to that same place, and then see the see the the ruins before they were ruined.
1: I think you'd have to go back further than
0: 1850, but... For
1: a gyro, no, no, for ruins, it's fine. No, no, it's I would fine. go
0: way, 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 way back from there.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. That's fine. That sounds great. Great choice all around. But tell us what you think. Uh, You can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcasts at marvel.com or you can send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And please let us know if it's quote unquote okay to read so we know if it's okay to read on the show
0: let's get into the community section uh, because last week our question of the week was what is your favorite thing from marvel's modok and we got a bunch of great answers first up is sal mara at salmara 927 who said i loved a lot of moments in the show but one of my favorites is melissa and lou using modok's drunk gun which is terrific
1: Next one up here is from ARC at ARC Reviews which says favorite thing from Marvel's Modok is the voice acting especially John Ham as Iron Man. Oh yes, yes, yes. I mean the cast is phenomenal.
0: Got to get that Ham. Daniel Irwin at Daniel Doctor says a really weird but surprisingly good and moving family series, which is totally true Daniel.
1: It is very moving. Um mm-hmm. it's, it's, it it surprises you.
0: And yeah, my wife almost on the verge of tears by the end of the the series. So there you go.
1: Next up, we have Emmett at Stakes Reyes D says, Just Lou and the Adaptoid. They're so funny on their own and better interacting. They need a buddy cop episode, a spinoff for Lou and the Super Adaptoid.
0: Lou truly is a treasure. Adaptoid is amazing. So, so good. I, I know Joanna at Joanna underscore Joe underscore also said Ben Schwartz as Lou. Matthew at Squants underscore Matthew says easy answer Ben Schwartz as Lou. People love their Lou.
1: Next up we have Mini Angel at Mini underscore Angel4 that says what makes this show Modoc really good is that Patton Oswalt just makes this show more funny. Good job on bringing in the right actor. It is great casting.
0: It's a ding dang delight. A definitive mm-hmm. ding dang delight. One more we got in here answering the question is from Maverick at Brian James Ortiz, who said 10 pin's face and just posted a picture, uh, a screenshot <laughs> of Tenpin, uh, which is just that face, that beautiful, just, clueless his head is face.
1: Very oblong. His eyes are very low on his head, and he's bringing 10pin realness.
0: It is so good. They dug deep on this show for, <laughs> for everything.
1: Next up, we have Simon Williams at Simon Sebs, who Sebs. The book I would recommend for Pride is the Glad Award-winning World of Wakanda by Roxanne Gay. Yes, happy Pride. And also, mm-hmm. that book also slaps. It's so good. Go read it. Um, I'm sure that's on Marvel Unlimited by now.
0: For sure. Thank you for that suggestion, Simon. Everybody go out and read that. We have a couple tweets in here from our pal Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard saying starting Monday off right with This Week in Marvel and a little hello from the little girl, Ray of Sunshine, talking about my Catherine Grace. Karis says we were asking about pride recommendations. So Karis suggests Avengers Academy is pretty good for some teen LGBTQ stories and great stories generally, too, of course. Also, just to note, she says, following the Tom Hiddleston interview, they still make Marvel Top Trumps. I play the Civil War pack with my nephew and niece a lot, and it is a great way to engage with the characters. And she posted a picture of this Top Trumps game with uh, Marvel Studios' Captain America Civil War. So yeah, that we were talking about that last week. It's a, it's a very UK game, I guess, but I'm so glad that it still exists. And you, you proved Tom right, Karis. Well done.
1: And we have this one, potentially the most important tweet of all time, which says, Loki's little smokies, this is why I always listen to the end of TWIM. Lorraine cracks me up. <laughs> what am I doing at the end of the episode? It's hard to say.
0: It's so good. Always, always a delight, a surprise, a little confusing. Wonderful that about wraps it up a big thanks to michael forster for the shout out and the love and the uh little bit of info about last week's episode and that's it we're we're rounding out this one we're getting uh gosh we're like halfway through june next week next couple weeks are gonna be super fun rest of the summer is gonna be super fun lorraine is coming up with some fun stuff for you so stay tuned for your last little bit of lorraine And this episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos.
1: Our audio development manager is Brad Barton.
0: And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio.
1: Special thanks to Bishop's Mullet Warehouse. Mullet's so good, it had to come from the future. Bishop's Mullet Warehouse. Where? His house.
0: (laughs) As you can hear, everybody, Lorraine is falling apart, but we can all appreciate (laughs) the love for a good mullet especially bishops. I'm Ryan. Hello, Raid. This is Marvel.
1: Your universe.